YTTP Studios presents To The People Podcast. This podcast is powered by Youth To The People. We make pro-grade vegan, cruelty-free skincare for all genders, pronouns, skin tones, passions, and people. And right here, every week, you'll meet friends of the brand who prioritize wellness, however it looks in their lives, and use their practice to learn more about themselves and heal their communities. I'm Greg Gonzalez, co-founder of Youth to the People. And I'm your producer, Manazal, taking over for Alyssa. Wellness, unity, love, and community are central to what we're doing at Youth to the People. And these themes were kind of the heart of our collaboration with Kids of Immigrants last month. If you missed the collab, there's still time to check out the KOI episodes of our podcast and Beautiful People, both of which I'll link in the description. This week, we're looking at the roles wellness, unity, love, and community play in the experiences of first-generation families, specifically our teammates. Alexa, Jamie, and Sue grew up first-generation in America, each in a different part of the country. I'll pass the mic so they can give their take. Alexa's up first. Hi, my name is Alexa, and I'm a regional sales and education executive with Youth to the People. So I am half Nicaraguan and half Puerto Rican, Nicaraguense y Puerto Riqueña. My dad is from Nicaragua, and my mom, she was born and raised in New York. Personally, I was born in New York, raised in Florida. My family and I were super close. We always, since I was young, have dinner at each other's houses. And I mean, my grandma, every single Monday, would cook authentic Nicaraguense food, like tortillas by hand. She would make our signature dishes, like gallo pinto, which is rice and beans kind of mixed together. I remember going over there and like, she would let me play with like the dough of the, of like the tortillas while she was making them in the kitchen. We all live within like five minutes of each other, which is such a blessing. (laughs) I think the way that we show community and togetherness is by um, like cooking and sharing meals and just listening to music and, you know. Growing up with my dad being from Nicaragua and just hearing about my grandma, my grandpa, him and my aunt getting their citizenship, it just at a young age made me super aware of how difficult it was. My grandma doesn't speak any English. Um, She can hold a basic conversation, but because of how traumatic her experience was coming to this country, she, I, I feel like, kind of shut down a little bit and was trying to grasp onto, like, her comfort, which would be her language. We were all pretty nervous when she was taking her test. You know, thankfully now all of them are citizens, but I just remember how hard my family had to work to get where where we are today. And I feel like that's where I get my work ethic. I mean, my grandma, she's... I think like 77, 78, and she just stopped working last year. And she was cleaning houses, worked at hotels, cleaning, like literally she would clean all day, start really, really early and then go on to like a second job. And my dad did that for a long time as well too. They definitely tried their hardest. And I mean, they did succeed in giving me literally everything that I wanted. And I've taken those lessons 
into like my career, especially with youth to the people, it brings me so much joy and happiness. And every time I tell my dad something like the promotions that I've gotten with the company, you know, he's always so proud. And I definitely see like how hard he's had to work to get to where he is. And he is my motivation <laughs> to keep working hard. And he definitely wants better for me. Self-care is something that maybe I've been teaching my family. <laughs> when I'm speaking to like my mom or my dad, I'm always mentioning ways to like take care of themselves and take care of their mental health. I've been such an advocate for wellness and taking care of yourself. And I think that's something that in their later years and as they're growing, they're starting to see how important it is. And I mean, it means a lot to me. And I think they see like how I take care of myself mentally. And, um, you know, I think I might be a little bit of a motivating factor for them to also bring a little wellness into their life. I've had struggles with my anxiety and my depression and it wasn't something that was maybe widely understood in you know the families and communities or something that just wasn't spoken about i had to do my own research to find ways to kind of quiet my mind and find creative outlets for myself instead of feeling like my anxiety or you know, the energy is kind of like pent up inside. So I was always looking for ways to improve myself and take care of myself and be gentle with myself because for so many years I was the complete opposite. My family just put so much love into everything that they do. And that's what inspires me to be me is how they've expressed their love and how they've put so much passion and energy behind everything that they do. And that's literally what inspires me to dream and be myself. I came out to my grandma first. She has always been so supportive. Literally every time I see her, she's like, you're so beautiful, you know, hello, my beautiful granddaughter. Like when she texts me and stuff like that, she has a gay brother. So I just felt like, I just gravitated towards her when I was realizing that I did want to come out to my family and it was literally nothing. She was like, I love you so much, no matter what, forever. And it was like the most comforting feeling and it gave me the courage to come out to my family. And then I came out to my other grandma and literally like same thing, the same encouragement, the same love. And I've never been treated any differently and they've accepted my partners and I felt such love from them and acceptance. And I told myself that I was going to get the complete opposite. And it was just such a relief. And I am thankful for that. And I feel like coming out to my grandma and the way she reacted definitely like helped me with coming out to my family and the world. And I was like, if my grandma loves me, like <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jamie Sampantabansu. I am head of people and culture here at Youth to the People. My family's story starts with um, my mom and dad, who actually 
weren't together. Um, both of my parents are from Laos. My mom is actually a widow and um, she immigrated here as a refugee with her family. She had a really large family. I believe she had eight brothers and sisters um, and she is the oldest sister. And so my mom came over. Um, my dad actually helped the U.S. during the Vietnam War. So he uh, was sponsored to come over to the U.S. too at around the same time. This was in 1980. Since my mom was a widow, when she got to Vancouver, Washington, which is where a lot of my family landed, my grandpa said, you can't be a single woman in America. Um, at the time, my aunt is dating um, my now uncle, and my grandpa talks to my mom and my aunt and says, you know what? He seems fairly good enough. And he was my dad. So here's my mom getting arranged to be with my dad. I'm growing up in a household where my parents were, you know, immigrants and had an arranged marriage was unique at first because they functioned more like a business um, initially. And then I think they grew to really love one another. We moved from Vancouver, Washington to Fresno when I was younger at first. Um, this was in the 80s. So crime was starting to kind of ramp up in Fresno. And so my parents decided, you know, let's let's move somewhere a little bit safer. So that is when we moved up to Redding, California. And I grew up pretty much um, in Redding. It's like predominantly white, but there was just a small community of Lao people there. So my parents wanted to go and build community with people who, you know, are within our culture. Until I started elementary school, I didn't really think I was different. We lived in this um, apartment complex that had a lot of other Lao families there. So I felt like I was raised by my neighbors as well. What I really enjoyed about being raised around that community is that I actually learned both English and Lao at the same time. I can't really remember which um, I learned first, but the kids and I, we would practice our English together, which was nice because whenever we're at home, our parents would speak to us in Lao. And even till this day, my parents only speak to me in Lao. And I'm shocked when my dad does speak English because he knows far more than he leads on to. I think he just prefers that I'm talking to him in Lao, but my my Lao is pretty terrible. It's like a sixth grade level. So I, I want to learn more. I think that's my goal is trying to get to a place where I can express my, you know, my thoughts, my hopes, my dreams, and not just telling my mom that my car is locked or giving her a list of just what I've done that day, but to have just more thoughtful conversations with her. When I think about community and like wellness with my family, it's always about being well-fed. Um, you can't come to the home without them, my parents feeding you a million things, and they just always keep asking if you're hungry. Even if you've just eaten with them an hour ago, they wanna feed you, and that's kind of the way that they show love and care. Um, kind of when I think back to what I did eat during my childhood, I couldn't eat a lot of spicy foods at first, so my parents would make a dish that was like a little bit more mild um, and then make it the true way. <laughs> and as I've gotten, you know, as my taste buds have matured and evolved and as I've 
tapped back into my culture. It's just a part of me now to really like spice. Um, but because I didn't like spice, sometimes they would really allow me to eat fast food, which was terrible, 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 terrible. So I grew up on a lot of Lao food. We didn't go to restaurants, but I did also eat a lot of fast food. So by the time I got to college, it was when I started to examine how I was living and what I was eating after college and during college was when I started to focus a little bit more on um, wellness, which is I started to run a little bit here and there. I, ne- I didn't love it yet. I started to run much more after college um, and then started to eat greens, more greens. When, when I think about wellness in terms of like what my pa- where my passions lie right now for mental health, it wasn't a topic that um, my parents talked about at all. And it's still something I don't think that um, they completely are behind. I think that's kind of cultural. I hear that a lot from my other friends who come from like either an Asian background, an Asian immigrant background. Um, I used to have a lot of conflict with my mother being completely 100% Lao from Lao and then me being 100% Lao but Asian American. And, you know, seeing my American friends have sort of different conversations with their parents and different relationships growing up, I felt sort of confused and I felt a lack. Um, My mom is much more stoic and I mean, she is amazing. She's weathered and sacrificed so much. Um, So I think I understand where she comes from and being completely stoic and able to handle everything but she gave birth to a crybaby. <laughs> like, I'm so emotional and I like, um, I love tapping into that. So I think we, as I was growing up, fought a little bit because she wanted me to, I think, in her words, it would be, be stronger. Whereas I think for me, going through all of that processing was a way of gaining the strength that I'll need to like persevere. So, yeah, I don't think I go to therapy now and I don't, I've never talked to my mom about it. I think maybe I should. I don't, I don't know how it'll be received. Her favorite thing to talk to me about, and I don't know if this is a mom thing or if it's our language barrier, she always makes sure that my car door is locked. It's hard not to get frustrated when you're speaking to your parents because I've obviously kept myself alive and well but she's still to this day telling me to make sure that I check the stove and make sure that it's turned off because she knew this one lady who didn't check the stove and their whole house burned down. And then, you know, is your car locked? Is it safe? Well, 10 years ago, I was moving out to New York to go to grad school. And it was one of those nights where I had everything in my car packed and ready to go for this move. Like, my social security cards in there, my passport, all my credit cards, all of my belongings are in the car. And at this time I'm living in San Francisco and my neighbors and I share a tandem spot. So for like two and a half years now, we leave a car key downstairs at the garage and we just move each other's cars back and forth into this tandem spot. I come home um, a little later one night, it was a weeknight, I think it was like 10 p.m. 
and I'm doing what I typically do, which is switch our cars. I pull my car back to my other neighbor's driveway and I leave the car on because it's a quick switch. I always do this. Then I pull the other car that was in front into our garage. When I go back to get into my car, there's a man in the car and I had this moment of like you I froze and I guess is that there's a person in my car it, there's really a person in my car and then I realized that he's going to steal my car and instead of I don't know moving away my my instinct was to jump on the hood of the car <laughs> and I like grabbed onto the windshield wiper because I had to get to New York. <laughs> like, I mean, my card, all my stuff is in there. Like, my identity is in there. My social security card is in there. So I jump on the car, and he just makes eye contact with me, and he has his hand on the steering wheel, and I can tell he's going to move and, and go. And so at that moment, I'm like, oh, my God. So I jump off the car, and then he just drives away. Luckily, I'm moving, so my brother is with me to help me move, and so I I rush upstairs to my apartment at that time and I tell him what happened and we just kind of like called the police right away. I had a security device on the car so we were able to like track it. As soon as we found the car and everything was secured again, um, he goes, you're not going to tell mom, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell mom. Can you not tell mom? So until this day, she still doesn't know it. Um, sorry, mom, you're not going to hear this podcast. So I'm just sharing it with the world. Um, but so she's not wrong in being concerned about my car. So maybe she has some intuition that happened 10 years ago and I've never told her. <laughs> when I applied for college, um, in my essay, I wrote about my parents' journeys as immigrants and then, you know, how I, I came to be. My dad had a lot of different jobs when he first arrived. Um, I believe he was a janitor at one point. Um, my parents both worked in the field and picked strawberries when we were up in Washington. And then he settled on becoming a gardener and learned landscaping. So that's kind of how um, he supported his family as I was growing up. When I told him I wanted to go to college, he said something to me that's like always stuck. He said, um, I work with my hands so that you don't have to. Uh, it just always like, it touches me, right? Like implying like just, you know, use your brain, but he used his brain too, you know? He just had to labor a bit more. Another thing that my parents have um, impressed upon me, which is so naturally them is they both have these really like sanguine cherry dispositions um and i've never heard them complain i didn't realize this about them until i grew up and i had to face whatever it is um rejection or things not going the way i wanted to or striving to have something and needing to work harder um and I just think back to growing up and even talking to them now, they never complain. They just have this perseverance and this discipline to keep going. So 
that's something that I, I try to think about when I'm in a place where I'm not grateful is to, to find gratitude. And even if it's a, t- a time when I can't, to not complain. Hi, I'm Sue. I'm the regional sales and education executive for Youth to the People. My parents' country of origin is South Korea, and I was actually born in Manhattan in New York, and I grew up in mostly Queens and Brooklyn. We kind of went back and forth a few times. I am currently based still out of New York City. I am born and bred here, so I don't expect to leave anytime soon. Growing up as a child of immigrants, um, it was definitely challenging, I would say, Um, just having parents who don't speak the language um, and only learning Korean um, initially, like my first three, four years of life in America. Um, Making that transition in school was very difficult because I didn't know any English, but also growing up in a predominantly uh, white neighborhood. So it was mostly Italian, Irish, and Jewish uh, neighborhood. It was challenging in just being like, you know, the other or just different. One of the biggest memories I have of elementary school and like childhood is um, bringing in food like for lunch. Um, My parents are like so happy to pack us like this really exciting lunch, um, you know, like something Korean like kimbap, which is kind of like Korean sushi, except there's no raw fish involved. Um, but they look like sushi rolls. And I remember just like in the kindergarten, all of my classmates like crowded around me, staring at my food, pointing at it. They're like, oh my God, that's so weird. What is that? Like, why would you bring that? Like, don't you just eat sandwiches? Um, Can I try some? Or like, ew, that's really gross. It smells weird. It looks weird. So I just remember like just eating was a challenge. Also, just like having to translate for my parents was always a big thing too, where they couldn't read important documents, things that were time sensitive. So me as a kid trying to read important documents and trying to decipher what it meant, like I already had a hard time, you know, as a kid, like knowing what these documents meant, and then having to translate that into Korean for my parents for them to understand. But as first generation, you are basically the guinea pig. I feel like, you know, your parents kind of try everything on you and they use you as kind of like a barrier between themselves and the outside world. And that was like, I think a very difficult role as a kid because we just had to grow up pretty quickly. There were little pockets of Korean communities throughout Queens, but I think at the time uh, my family and I were living in Brooklyn, which was predominantly Russian. Um, So the only time we did see other Korean families were at church. So I was raised Christian and my mom was very, very Christian. So we went to church every Sunday. That's the only other time I would see other people that looked like me. And it was like a once a week thing. So I wasn't as involved with the Korean community here as I could have been elsewhere, maybe. I, I don't have any other family here besides my immediate family. So it's just my Mother, my dad at the time, uh, my dad, my father had passed away. So um, it was just us and then my younger brother and then my older half brother. All of my aunts and uncles, cousins, everyone else lives in South Korea still. And we would visit like maybe once, once a year or like once every other year. We were completely separate from the rest of our family. 
in Korean, there's a word called chong, and chong means like familiarity, and it's kind of like a bonding experience where you know you spend time with each other, you share food with each other, um, and just kind of build that relationship. But I never really had that ability with my extended family, so I didn't quite belong there, and I didn't quite belong here. So that sense of love definitely was. It was very confusing, I think, growing up. And then as I got older, it's gotten better. Obviously, with you know technology advancing, we're able to connect through uh, social media. And then there is that sense of you know family love amongst us, but it's not as close, I would say, as like other families are. Our family's take on wellness is more on the superficial side. So everything was focused on what other people can see from the outside and um, like your physical appearance and what you eat and things that take care of your physical body, but never really so much about um, your mental health. My father was a workaholic. He literally ran himself to the ground and believed that, you know, you don't really care about anything else. You just focus on work and um, just eat well, and then you'll be fine. Like you'll be successful. But clearly that wasn't the case and that didn't work out for him. Um, my mother on the flip side, she's like the complete opposite of my dad. She's like, oh, I don't really want to work, but I kind of have to because like, I have to pay the bills. But um, she was very big on like physical wellness. So she loved to like do things like get her hair done. And um, obviously K-beauty is huge. So like skincare was like ingrained in my life. Um, eating well is huge in South Korean culture. So that kind of stuff like was always ingrained in my um, DNA. But they were very, like culturally, mental health was kind of like on the back burner. Um, my mother being Christian and being raised Christian, she believed that you didn't need to go to a therapist. I actually had a conversation with her like a year ago. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm seeing a therapist. And she's like, why? You could just you know, pray to God and like, you'll be fine. If you have Jesus in your life and you, if you have God in your life, then you're not going to need a therapist because, you know, he'll take care of everything that you're lacking in your life. And so that's something that I've been trying to like have more of an open conversation with her about it. And I'm like, it's not, you know, it, it's not very practical, you know, like I, I'm all about metaphysical and I'm all about like spiritual things like that, but you also have to apply it in a more tangible way that's accessible to people and that actually pertains to your real life day to day. Our family, we're just a bunch of survivors, I would say. Um, just judging from the stories that were passed down from my grandparents and just like hearing stories here and there when I do get to visit my family in Korea. And then also just growing that relationship between my mother and I. She has been telling me a lot of stories about her past, especially after coming here. And even just like her growing up back in Korea as well, um, that woman's been through a lot. Like she's been through more things that I could even possibly imagine. And just her ability to still have a sound mind and be so strong and so resilient despite everything that she's been through. I'm very much in awe of her and I admire it. So I feel like it helps me carry on my day to day and just appreciate what she's done for us and like sacrifice for us, but also helps me believe that like I can overcome anything. 
To the People podcast is a production of YTTP Studios. Find us online at youthtothepeople.com and get 15% off your next purchase when you use the code TOTHEPEOPLE15. And while you're shopping, check out the Superberry Hydrate and Glow Pride Edition Dream Mask, which is going to deeply hydrate, plump, and brighten skin with powerful antioxidant-rich superberries and THD ascorbate, the latest clinically proven form of stable vitamin C. This formula is going to help target dullness, uneven skin tone for brighter, more radiant skin, and 100% of profits are being donated to diverse nonprofit organizations empowering LGBTQIA folks and working to build a representative future. This episode was produced by Alyssa Shapiro and myself. It was edited by myself, and our theme music is by YTTP co-founder Greg Gonzalez and Hannah Fernando.